All right, we're continuing in our series, um, Unlikely Heroes. And uh, we've been studying, uh, we started with David uh, the first part of the year. We did three weeks studying David, an unlikely hero. And last week we did Gideon, uh, three weeks of uh, discussion on Gideon, and that was great. Every once in a while I'll receive an email from somebody asking for a clarification uh, about something. And I received one uh, last week uh, from Mike Matthews. He said, Pastor, um, I was wondering if you, could, if you could give me some clarity. He said, the story you shared about Gideon last week, did that happen before or after he put Bibles in all the hotel rooms? <laughs> Duh, it was after, you know? It's like <laughs> Today we're going to introduce a new character to you. Uh, our next unlikely hero is the prophet Elijah. Uh, Elijah lived in the period of the kings around 850 BC. Uh, the children of Israel were uh, ruled by progressively worse and worse leaders, and it just took them further and further away from God. The reality is we don't know much about Elijah's early life. We don't know how God called Elijah or how, he, how it is that uh, the circumstances were such that he was called to this occasion, but we know that he was a prophet of God and that he showed up during the reign of Ahab. Uh, Ahab was the king of the northern tribe of Israel. And so we, we do know that Elijah was a normal guy. If we go to the book of James chapter five, verse 17 and 18, it says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Now this is James speaking. He says, listen, Elijah, he was just a, he was just a, a human being. In other words, in our vernacular, he was, he was a normal guy. He was just like you, just like me. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the message today. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and God, we desire to hear from you. Father, as we look at the life of Elijah, God, we want to, we want to see your work in Elijah's life. Our goal here today is not to say, wow, Elijah was a great person, but instead, God, that we would be inspired to say, wow, God is an awesome God because of the way he worked in Elijah's life. So Father, we come before you today, and uh, God, we need you. I pray that you would speak through me the message you would have for us today. Uh, Father, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are willing to receive uh, what you would like to share with us this morning. So, Father, we just dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in the passage that James, uh, I just read from James, James was talking about the effective uh, prayer of a righteous person and how powerful that was. And we see that Elijah was just a human being. And the point here is that you know, you don't have to be elite. You don't have to be unique. You don't have to be special. God uses ordinary people. He uses people like you and people like me and the person sitting next to you. Elijah wasn't perfect. He was fallible. Elijah was sinful. He was mortal. He was limited. He couldn't do anything he wanted to do, but he could pray. And when he prayed, he stopped the rains. Amen. The point that James is making is that Elijah's power doesn't come from Elijah. It comes from God answering Elijah's prayers. 
And not because Elijah was special, because he was common and ordinary, just like you and me. You see, Elijah surrendered his normal life to an extraordinary God, and incredible things happened. We're going to see in a few minutes that God answered Elijah's prayer, and it affected a lot of people's lives. In fact, the answer to Elijah's prayer even affected his own life in a, in a powerful way. But for you to understand Elijah's story, you have to understand a little bit of the context of the world in which he was living. Elijah enters the scene during the reign of a wicked king named Ahab. Ahab was a lousy leader. He was a weak leader. Uh, in fact, he was one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. In 1 Kings 21, it says this, verse 25. There was never anyone like Ahab, who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. Now, this is a distinction I don't think any of us ever want to receive here. The, the, the Bible says that he was the worst of the worst. He was as bad as they get. He was a lousy person. And part of his problem, if we're going to be truthful, was the fact that he married a wicked woman. And, and I advise against doing that, you know? <laughs> don't do that, you know? But he did. And he broke God's law by marrying a foreign woman. And in short order, Jezebel led Ahab to worship Baal. And together they built temples to Baal throughout Samaria. They hunted down the prophets of God and had them murdered. Jezebel saw a vineyard that she wanted and it, it produced really good grapes and, and she wanted that vineyard. vineyard. So they, she went and sent somebody to ask him if they could buy it and the people that owned it said, no, we, we'd like to keep it. And so she had them murdered so that she could then get the vineyard. That's the caliber of people that we're dealing with here. She was just an evil, evil person. So under their leadership, Ahad and Jezebel, we saw a period of rapidly declining moral values throughout the nation. People were pledging their allegiance to their worship to false gods. And then Elijah steps into the scene. Verse 1, 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Understand, just coming before the king to say this, Elijah is putting his life on the line. You know, because Ahab could have immediately just had him murdered right on the spot. But it was more important to Elijah that he do what God told him to do than that he live a life of safety. Elijah served a big God. He had a high view of God. A.W. Tozer rightly said this. He said, the most important thing about a human is what they think when they think about God. And I think there's a lot of truth in all that. We all need a high view of God. You realize that God is not the man upstairs, right? We need to have a high view of God. That's why 
in our youth department. That's why in our children's department, we teach our kids about God. We give them the biblical story of God's amazing works and what God has done throughout history. We teach them to study the word of God, to memorize the word of God, to know it. We share with them the miraculous events that prove that God was indeed God. We lay the foundation for moral truth by reading to them the 10 commandments so they understand the basis of all laws. And I love the fact that Elijah emphasizes to Ahab that God lives. Aren't you glad we serve a living God? He's not a dead God. He isn't a fictional character in a book. He's not a legendary avenger fighting cosmic battles against other gods. We live in a a society where we watch shows all the time where we talk about all kinds of different gods. And before long, our children aren't going to know the difference between Jehovah God and Thor or Loki or Hercules or Odin or Zeus or Apollo. They're going to think that our God is just one more in a string of gods that happened throughout history because kids get confused and they don't know whether these gods were real gods or not. That's why we need to tell them the truth. There is no other God than Jehovah God Almighty. And our kids need to know that. We serve a living God. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving that he was God. The book of Revelation opens this way. It says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's powerful. I love that. We serve a God who is alive, who is powerful, who is everywhere present, who knows everything. He's not a statue. He's not a cosmic police officer in heaven looking to slap you on the wrist every time you do something or think something wrong. He's not some sweet old grandfather sitting in a rocking chair on a front step just there to tell you stories. He's not a genie in a bottle that's there to answer your every wish and to fulfill your every dream whenever you pray. He's God Almighty. Elijah came to Ahab in the name of God Almighty, and he said, I serve the living God. Now, it's interesting that Ahab had led the people to worship Baal. Baal was the fertility God. He was the one that was supposed to make the crops grow and provide the food. That was the theory there, that he was, he was the God that controlled the rains and controlled the dew and controlled everything that caused things to grow. So in that context, they thought Baal was the one that made the water and the rain fall. So when Elijah confronts Ahab, Ahab, um, you know, is listening to Elijah and Elijah says, I'm gonna pray that the rains will stop. Verse one, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now you may think that perhaps this just popped into Elijah's head that Elijah went to confront God and he, to, to confront Ahab. And as he was there confronting Ahab, the idea popped in his mind, you know what, I'm just gonna make it so that the rains don't come. But that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case at all. You see, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16, it says, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. 
Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Now God had clearly warned the children of Israel that if they followed after false gods, if they served these idols, if they did this, that he would shut up the heavens. So Elijah simply asked God to do what God had already said that he would do if they chased after false idols. Can I just say that our most effective prayers are prayers that are in alignment with God's word? When we pray according to God's word, we know it's in God's will and God will answer that prayer. 1 John 5 verse 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if your prayer is rooted in the word of God, God will honor that prayer. He's not necessarily obligated to make all of your dreams and wishes come true. But if you pray something that's in alignment with the word of God, you can have confidence that God hears and will answer that prayer in time. So after Elijah's confrontation with Ahab, God moved Elijah on. Verse two says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Now I believe that God sent Elijah out into the wilderness so that he wouldn't be killed by Jezebel. And so God promised to meet Elijah's need and to provide him with food and water. And so Elijah obeyed. We pick it up in verse five. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Now, nowhere do we see that Elijah debated God in this situation. Um, he simply obeyed. And if you look at Elijah's life, obedience is one of the most noble attributes of Elijah's life. He just obeyed God. I think it's interesting that even the ravens obeyed God. I'm not sure I would be too excited about having my food delivered by ravens. They were an unclean animal according to the law. They were vultures, basically flying garbage disposals. So think of this. I mean, if a raven brought you meat, wouldn't you wonder where he got it from? <laughs> I'd be afraid that he just scooped it up off a dead hyena, you know? I've heard that meat tastes funny. <clears throat> sorry, sorry. <laughs> just wanted to wake you back up. <laughs> Nevertheless... Elijah obeyed. God provided food through the ravens. Day after day, God took care of Elijah. And I think it's interesting to note that God's provision often comes in ways we would have never seen coming, right? It's amazing how God takes care of our needs. Sometimes it's such a unique way that we don't see it until much later. God is just very creative in the way that he takes care of his people. Let's continue on, 1 Kings 17, 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. 
So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? I find it interesting here that Elijah is suffering the consequences of his own prayer, right? The brook dried up because he prayed that it wouldn't rain. So just because he prayed and got the answer that he wanted didn't mean that God completely isolated him and insulated him from any of the effects of it. He suffered from it as well. The brook dried up and he was getting thirsty. So God sends him to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, had we taken the time to go back to 1 Kings 16, we would have seen an interesting detail that becomes important now. So I'm gonna go back there and read one verse. Speaking of Ahab, the text says, 1 Kings 16, 31, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Jezebel's father was the king of who? The Sidonians. Where did God send Elijah to the widow? In the region of Sidon, the area where Jezebel's father was the king. God sent Elijah into the teeth of the tiger, right? Right to Jezebel's home region, right where she grew up, right under the nose of the wicked king. So for Elijah, that means vacation is over. <laughs> Verse 11. As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but, make, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So Elijah puts this widow in a tricky spot. She was already down to the last little bit of food that she had. And in her mind, she knew that this is it. This is the last meal. My son and I are gonna eat what little we have left and then we're going to starve to death. We're gonna die. And now Elijah shows up on scene and says, but first, feed me. Feed me first. Wow, what would you do? Elijah reassured her with a promise from God that if you feed me first, I'll take care of you throughout the entire famine. And I think the principle here is obey God first and he'll provide for you. Obey God first and he'll provide for you. you see, you see, obedience unlocks God's blessing. God wants us to be obedient to his word. Karen and I have seen this in our entire life. When we first got married 30, nearly 31 years ago, we determined that we were going to tithe, give God 10% of our income, and we've done that from the day that we got married. And then over the years, we've given more and more and more, and God has provided for our needs over the last 30-some years 
We don't give to get. We give because God wants us to be grace givers. We live by faith. We want to be obedient to God's call to be generous. We don't view it as an obligation. We don't get upset by it. We don't view it as a law that needs to be followed. We see it as an opportunity to share with others the blessings that God has given to us. And God has been faithful to our family ever since. Elijah, in this text, calls this widow to a level of generosity that most of us will never experience. Rarely does God ask us to give it all. But we should be willing to give it all. Amen? We should be willing to give it all. So let's see what she said. Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God honored Elijah's obedience and the woman's sacrifice. And I believe that God still honors our obedience and sacrifice today. Like Elijah, we're called to honor the word of God. We're called to obey the word of God. We're called to walk by faith, to trust the promises of God. And when we honor God by walking by faith and being, living in obedience to his word, he takes care of us. And as we've already seen, not always in the way that you would expect, not always in the way that you want, but God always comes through. Dropping off food by the ravens, was just an illustration of the ways that God can provide for his children and that he can do things that we would never even think of. You know, the obedience of the widow lady shows us that sometimes God puts our faith to the test. Sometimes God leads us to do something that's bigger or harder or more costly than anything that we've ever done before and we have to face the question, will I trust him? Am I willing to go above and beyond? Am I willing to step out by faith even when it doesn't make sense? And you know what keeps so many people from being obedient to God? From the level of obedience that the Elijah and that the widow had? You know what holds most people back? Worry. Worry. We're worried that maybe God won't come through this time. We're worried that, well, what if I don't have enough for myself? So we rationalize, well, Lord, I'll obey, but let me get my ducks in a row first. Let me take care of my family, or let me, let me take care of this, that, or the other thing. And then when I'm done with that, well, then, Lord... You can have or you can do or whatever you want to do, Lord, then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll obey. Let me ask you, did Jesus ever talk about this? Well, as a matter of fact, he did. Jesus was teaching his disciples. If you turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus is teaching, and this, these are the words of Jesus. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then the storm into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what should we eat? Or what should we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Here we go. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For some of you, that's the message you needed to hear this morning. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Look at your neighbor and say, don't worry, be happy, okay? <laughs> Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Elijah saw some incredible, incredible miracles in his life. We're gonna read next week about his most famous miracle. Fascinating story. But can I tell you that everything that Elijah saw in his life was directly connected to his obedience to God? James told us that Elijah was a man like you and like me. That means Elijah was an unlikely hero, someone who was used by God to stand against the wickedness in his generation, somebody who was used by God to influence his society. And I think we need some Elijahs today that'll step up in obedience to the word of God and stand against the Ahabs and the Jezebels of our day. To stand against the anti-God culture that is flowing through our schools and colleges and businesses. Friends, our society is not much different than the pagan world in which Elijah lived. They worshiped fertility gods, they promoted sensuality, they devalued women and children. Does that not describe our society? In this series, I'm praying that God will tap on the shoulder some unlikely heroes, that he'll put some thoughts and some ideas into your mind that say, you know what, I could do this, or I could get involved in that, or maybe God would say, I'm calling you into this, I'm calling you to go there, I want you to provide for that, I want you to do this, and I'm praying that God will just lay it on your heart, and there'll be some unlikely heroes that just stand up and say, I'll do it, I'll go, I'll give, I'll be obedient, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. But what we can't do is just sit back, wag our heads, and say, well, just look at how bad this next generation is. Right? Have we not been doing that for long enough? Instead of just saying how bad it is, why don't we start doing something about it? Why don't we get involved? Be part of the solution. I think it starts by praying. By being willing to pray to God and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. When I got saved in July of 1983, that was my prayer. I didn't know any other prayers. I, I wasn't a church person. Went to a camp, heard the preacher preach, 
felt God speak to my heart. They said, you need to do that. I went up front. There were so many people there that they couldn't even talk to us. The pastor just said, go out and find a tree and sit down and talk to God. That was what I did. I went out. It was dark. Sat down at a tree. Had no idea what I was supposed to do, but I just said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I don't know what you want me to do, but whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. That was my prayer. This is not what I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to business, thought I had all kinds of other things I was going to do, but this is what God called me to do. Maybe this week you just need to find a tree somewhere, lean up against it and say, God, what do you want me to do? Now, I don't know. God may or may not speak to you about something. He may already be speaking to some of you about something. Some of you right now got sweaty palms and your heart's racing and you're hoping I close this message really soon. (laughs) I can see it in your face. You're like, and keep it moving. Land the plane. You know, I don't know. I have no idea what God may be speaking to you to do or those who are joining us online, sitting on the couch at home right now. God may be speaking to you. You may be driving down the road, listening to this message and God may be talking to you. Can I just say, just obey whatever God is saying to you to do. Just obey. Elijah did and he was just a normal person like you and like me. I believe that God is going to raise up some unlikely heroes in this last in these last days and I hope it's you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be used by you in any way. God, it's not by our power, it's not by our strength. It's not that we can do it. It's that we're available to do it and that you'll do it through us. So God, give us the spirit of obedience, the spirit of faith, a willingness to obey, a willingness to say yes, a willingness to stand against the wickedness in our culture. God, I don't know who you're speaking to today or what you're asking them to do, no clue whatsoever, but God is between you and them. And I just pray that they'll be inspired to say yes to you, whatever that is. And so God, would you help us as a church to influence this society? We make, may we make a difference in this geography for the glory of God. God, it's been our prayer that, that God, you'd spark a movement of God in this community. So exciting to reach what's going on in Kentucky at Asbury. And God, I pray that that would spill from that college to other colleges and that God, you would spark a revival in this land. We need it, God. And so God, may you do something right here in Southwest Florida. May you do it with us. God, use us for your glory. God, we praise you. We recognize that God, everything we have, everything we need, everything comes from you, God. And so we just honor you and praise you this morning. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song.